to be starting in the first epistle of John, John 1 through 10, 1 John 1 through 10. And this is a, a book that um, over the years, I think between, I call them the little Johns, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and James, I've probably read more than any other um, book in the Bible, and they, they've really related to me in my life, and part of it is, I believe anyways, is that when I first became saved, I had a, a spiritual mentor that, um, as we got into a Bible study with this, his question was, what do you do with these scriptures? And it was for self-examination and looking at ourselves and and uh, didn't think much of it, loved the book, went through it a couple times, began to keep reading it. And it was uh, several years later, I, I became, I uh, was into the ministry already and went to a pastor's retreat. And there was a pastor up there named Ray Pritchard. He's uh, sort of a renowned author. And um, he was preaching through that and teaching at this pastor's retreat through that. And I've, I've had the opportunity over the years to uh, sit and talk with um, with Ray Pritchard a, a few different times, but his theme on this scripture was, what do we do with these scriptures? And if that didn't top it off, uh, we used to go to pastor retreats oh, every year, every other year, at least up at Camp Forest Springs, and it was several years later, we were up there, and Stuart Briscoe, Pastor Briscoe was up there. This was like the third time I had heard him up there, and he was going through First John, and the question came out, what do you do with these scriptures? So in a span of about 20 years, I had heard these pastors say, what do you do with these scriptures? And it's something that I have passed on um, to people when I talk with them. When we talk about compromising the faith, when we talk about what is true Christianity, when we talk about uh, is my life where it needs to be, I think First John um, is, is an excellent book for this because... What we're looking at here is, is within a, a few years of the beginning of, of really the Christian uh, movement, counterfeits were springing up everywhere. Those that wanted to lead people astray, those that wanted to compromise out the truth, and it's not much unlike today. We can apply a lot of what we're going to hear about this first century church to the 21st century church. But there was a, a few groups, there was four specific groups, and as I list them and describe them, I want you to think about, do we, do we hear this and do we see this yet today? And so some of these groups that were trying to infiltrate the church or that were doing these false teachings, leading people astray, uh, were the, the Judaizers. So they were Jews that, that believed in grace, but they also believed that there was some effort that man had to make to be saved. And so they said that grace plus works equals salvation. We see a lot of uh, churches today that, that do that. I know uh, some of them are cults and some of them are just regular churches, but um, Jehovah Witnesses are one like that. They don't just stand on the grace of God. They believe you need to do all these things, and that's why we believe that they're a false religion and they got a lot of other things that are wrong. But whenever you hear about a religion that says grace plus something, um, that would be like a Judaizer. And the, the New Testament church, as it was founded, had these Jewish converts that just couldn't grasp grace alone. And so they were trying to add in these works. The others were Gnostics. You've probably um, heard of them. 
they believed really that anything done in the body or done in the flesh really didn't matter because our life was basically spiritual. And so they sort of had this thought that we could be spiritual with God and yet I could live and do what I wanted to in the world. That what I did in the flesh really didn't matter. And the question is, do we hear that today? You know, we have a lot of people today, they call themselves Christians, but they continue to live embedded in sin. They continue to, to walk in darkness, as we're going to read in a moment. And so those were the Gnostics who um, really believed that, uh, that there was a higher truth also that they could know. So even though um, they were living like the devil, they believed spiritually in things, and they sort of had this perception um, that a few people could be enlightened, and, and they believed that to be so. And so sometimes we see that in the world today where people are living in sin, and, and you try to... Uh, talk to them about spiritual things and, well, you know what I think. Well, this is my understanding. And my thought in my head always is, I try not to speak it out all the time, is I really don't care what your opinion is. I care what the Word of God says. I don't care what your thoughts are because I can have all sorts of thoughts to try to justify my life of sin. But there's even groups out there, and we deal with them in the prison a little bit. They're called the one percenters or five percenters. And they believe like 1% or 5% of, of these people are enlightened. That was the Gnostics. Then there was the Docetics. And the Docetics, and these are all big names, you'll probably never re remember them again, but they really believed that Jesus did not have a real body. They believed he was like a, a hologram, that you could see him, but it was sort of like uh, maybe one of these uh, Star Wars shows. If you went up to him and tried to touch him, you would, you would would your arm would go right through him. It was sort of a... Uh, I guess, a phantom type of a thing. You could see him, you could hear him, but it was more of an illusion as far as his body was, that he wasn't really here in the flesh. In the flesh. And then there was the Corinthians, and they, not to be confused with Corinthians, these were Corinthians, and uh, they attempted to unite all the doctrines of these different beliefs, of the, uh, especially of the Jews and the Gnostics together. Today I would call them Unitarians. You know, every, everything is good. Every path leads to God. Let's just all come together and have one big kumbaya. That was the, the Corinthians. And so in the first century, and this book was written about 90, 95 uh, AD, this is what the churches were fighting back then. This is what the churches are fighting yet today. So there there's always... Um, been Christians that can be led astray, and back then this was the fact, and this is what prompted John to write this letter. Um, these professing Christians had been led astray by false doctrines. They had been led astray by different beliefs and teachers. And so John, he's pretty old at this time. He's the oldest living apostle at this time. And he, and he writes to these um, dear children of his that he figured. He knew these people very well. He knew them very intimately. Um, he had established these churches, kept relationships going with them, and he wanted to encourage them to stand fast, to remain true to the gospel message that was uh, preached. And we would say today to stand fast in the word of God. You know, we, we have a lot of people, they talk about uh, black and white, but yet when we, when we come to things that affect our own life, uh, it's funny how we can drift into gray areas very quick. And so John is saying, you know, hold truth um, to the truth, uh, hold fast to the truth, hold fast 
to one another because this is the basis of our relationship with God. So it really offers this glimpse into the, of the Christian world at the end of the first century, and they were battling um, paganism inside and outside the church. And I always say it's important to understand that he is writing this to the church. So this isn't like he's talking to the world about adopting these things. He's saying, church, you are adopting these things. You need to look at uh, these things in your life that you are holding dear, these things that you are following. And for each and every one of us, um, and, I, and I love the scripture that was shared uh, for commuting, because that's the one I always use, let a man examine himself. You know, we need to examine ourselves continually. Because there's a lot of things we're going to say in our life. There's a lot of things that we can profess in our life. But the only thing that really matters is what God sees. And that example about, you know, we hide things in our heart. We can say one thing and be living a totally different way. And the scriptures tell us that many times. With their lips they honor me, but their heart is far from me. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I command you to do? having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. <clears throat> These were the teachings of the New Testament church, and they've sort of gone astray today because we live much in the same way of, of, of compromise in the church. And so this is what uh, John was talking about. Um, there was a lot of spiritual confusion. There was a lot of spiritual, <coughs> excuse me again, controversy that was going on. And a lot of morality issues, as, as you get into the books of like Corinthians, you can see some of those things. And so he writes this book, and as we look at these, and we're going to look at the first maybe ten verses we might get through today, um, we really need to ask ourselves, okay? Not ask the person next to us, not apply it to somebody else, but we need to look at it ourselves and say, where am I in this, in this moral and, and spiritual confusion in the world today? Where is it that I stand? Am I like a Judaizer where, where I believe in God's grace, but, but I, I need to do something to, to really earn my salvation? Or, or am I like this Gnostic that says, I can live like the devil, but I'm still going to heaven because, you know, in, in my spirit I know these things? And, or have we forsaken sin? See, the Gnostics, they didn't forsake that sin. The Docetics, Again, believing that Jesus wasn't really who he claimed to be. And John addresses these facts spiritually. So as he's addressing these people, he's laying out the facts, just like you would in a court of law, proving that Christ was who he said. Or are you the Corinthians, where you just sort of adopt everything? Well, that sort of sounds good. Well, yeah, yeah, that sort of makes sense. Or do we say that, you know, narrow is the way that leads? Jesus says, I am the door. Narrow is the path. He is the only way that we get there. Are we standing strong on those? And so John sort of uh, writes these uh, themes. There's three themes, and, and they're sort of interwoven like a, a rope, I would say. Um, one is truth, love, and obedience. And as he weaves these things together, we really need to look at our life. And he talks about that if we want to have fellowship with God, okay? So the basis of Christianity, when we look at this, is personal, you know, we'll call it personal relationship. I'll say personal fellowship. And fellowship and relationship are tied to that. It's not just a, a head knowledge of who God is or who Jesus is. And listen, you can be raised in the church your whole life. You can memorize scriptures. You can know right from wrong. You can, you know, you can, whatever. Lifelong member. You can give chunks of your, your estate and your money to the church. 
That has nothing to do with being a Christian. Christian is being in a relationship or in fellowship with God. And are we there? And so John lays out this, that really to have fellowship with God, we must know God's truth. Well, how do we know God's truth? A lot of people today, because we're in the spiritual age, you know, well, you know, the spirit this and the spirit that. And the spirit will speak to the believers. I, I believe that truly. But guess what? Whatever the Spirit speaks to you is always going to be in agreement with the Word of God. Okay, The Word of God is like the foundation. So if I hear something, I'm praying, or I, you know, I'm sitting in, in the woods and sort of meditating on things, and I get this thought that's contrary to God's Word, I know it's not the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit's always going to be in agreement with the Word of God. And so we need to know God's truth. And so truth is that. It is not a lie. Now, John's going to confront. He says, you know, if you say this and this and do not the truth, then it's a lie. And you know, we're walking in darkness and light. And he uses all these contrasts. So in order to have fellowship with God, you must know God's truth. Secondly, you must obey God's commandments. Now, that isn't to keep the law. It isn't to, to uh, keep the relationship with God. It's because it's part of who we are. We know what the truth of God is. We know what he's called us to do. And so in that good relationship, in that healthy fellowship that he has called us to have, we desire to do that. You know, in a healthy marriage, in a healthy relationship, uh, you know, the husband wants to make the wife happy. He knows what pleases her, and he'll do those little extra things. He doesn't want to do things to, to irritate her. I, I spend a lot of time making sure I don't do things that irritate my wife. I can pick on her because she's not here today. But I know that when I, when I, if, if I do things to irritate her, it doesn't just make her life miserable, it makes my life miserable, right? And so I look at that in my relationship with God. God loves me greatly, and God has, has bestowed his blessings upon me. And one of the things I want to do is I want to live for him. I want to be pleasing in his sight, because if I'm living in a way that is not pleasing to him, I'm not only hurting him, but I'm hurting myself, and my life becomes miserable. So we know God's truth, we obey God's commandments, and we love God's children. We need to love God's children. That means we need to love one another. When you say, man, some people are difficult. Well, yeah, you don't always have to like everybody, but he calls us to love everyone. Okay, so we, we need that love because he says when we speak the truth, we need to speak the truth in love. The things that we do, we do in love. 1 Corinthians 13, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Love is the crux of everything that God has done for us through Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And so everything that we do in Christian ministry and in Christian fellowship with the Father is based upon love. And apparently in the church here, they were having some problems with people loving one another. And so we need to deal with that. And so as we go ahead, we really find out that authentic fellowship with God and his people is based on this relationship. So um, he wrote this book, I think, from Ephesus, and he's a, like I said, he's an old man, but he knows these people uh, personally, and he talks about, as we start out here, um, the basis for fellowship with God. And so as we look at this, he doesn't begin with a greeting, he didn't do that in his gospel either, um, but he just starts coming out with um, what he has witnessed, what he has seen, what he has heard. In the important things. You know, in, in the Gospel of John, it starts out, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God. He didn't say, you know, greetings to this and that, as Paul usually did. Well, he starts out that 
very same way here as we're talking about thinking. He's going to talk about a life revealed. So this is almost like Christianity 101. I think this is a great book for, for new believers and, and uh, older believers a lot because it brings us right back to the very uh, basis of this life revealed. Who is Jesus? So it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life. This life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness to declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. And so right away he's, he's uh, going after these docetics, those that say, well, you know, you could see God, but you really couldn't, uh, you know, touch him and feel him. It wasn't a real person. And part of their belief in our, in our um, I should say this, in our, in our conscience would make sense because can God be put to death? Well, we would say, no, God can't be put to death. Should God be put to death? No. People had troubles wrapping their, their heads around those things, and that's where these beliefs came that Jesus wasn't real in the flesh. But how does John deal with that right away? He says, these things we have heard. He's going to use all of his senses. He says, I have heard these things. I have seen these things with my eyes. And guess what? He says, I have handled them with my hands. I've touched him. I've felt him. He was real. He wasn't a make-believe phantom there. And so he starts about this life revealed. He was writing based on his personal, not just his personal beliefs, but his personal experiences with Jesus Christ. He sat with him. He ate with him. They, they went places together. He listened to him. Man, if we could have, have had scribbled down all the things that, that Christ had probably taught these men. But he's talking about some of them. He, John preached this, case, uh, this gospel based on the historical Christ. He said, I was there, and he was real, and this is what was said, and this is what was happened. He wasn't some mystical idea, but he was the actual son of God, he's going to go on to say. This is Jesus Christ. This is the one who came to be payment for our sins. And so he goes on in verse 3 to say, that which we have seen and heard and declared to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and his son, Jesus Christ. And he says, And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. So he goes on to say again, he's, he's saying, you know what, we've seen these things, we've heard these things, we're declaring them to you. And as believers, we need to do this. We're declaring this truth to you, he says, that you may have fellowship with us. And so he's going to get into this fellowship dialogue. And so we said ultimate Christianity is this, fellowship with the Father through Jesus Christ. That's salvation. Fellowship with the Father through Jesus Christ. So he says that you may have fellowship with us. And he says, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And so he's laying out this thing to say the only way that we can really have true fellowship with one another is when we have fellowship with the Father through Jesus Christ. And so sometimes we get this fellowship thing sort of mixed up. You know, we, we say, well, we come together in church and we're having fellowship. Well, if you're not a believer, you're not going to have that fellowship. That fellowship is in the spirit. That fellowship is, is a right life towards God, a clean conscience towards God. It's experiencing his salvation in our life. And so he's telling them right there, he says, if you want this fellowship with us, it's because our fellowship is with the Father and through Jesus Christ. 
And so when we look at this, the, ens- the, the essence really of the, the Christian life is this intimate fellowship with the Father. It's, it's not just a knowledge, and, and I don't know, I want to emphasize this. You know what intimacy is, right? Intimacy is a closeness, it's a link, it's a tie, it's a, it's a bond, it's, it's, it's emotional, it's physical, it's, it's about your being and their being. And so when we talk about this intimacy, it means I can share everything. Everything is known about me and everything is known about you. And we have this intimacy. You can have that with your spouse. You can have intimate relationships with your friends. And so God says, I want you to have this intimate relationship with me. I don't want me to be some, you know, pie-in-the-sky guy that you're looking at or you're praying to this God that's far off. Jesus prayed in the garden. He says, you know, Father, I I, I want them to be in, in me as I am in you and you are in me. And he says, I want us to be woven together. I want us to be grafted up. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a relational thing that just digs so deep into us that, that when we do things that we shouldn't, that it really moves us. And he says, I want your joy to be full. And the only way that that joy is full is when we're right with God. Because if we're examining ourselves, if we're looking at our lives on a daily basis, which we need to do, and we see things that don't belong there, guilt comes in. And guilt's a terrible thing. So what do we do many times as humans is we sort of harden our heart towards guilt. We harden our heart towards towards the sin in our life. We justify ourselves where we are sitting and our relationship is hindered. You ever notice when a little child does something wrong and and the parent walks in the room how they can get quiet or shy or they, they, they won't want eye contact? One of the things in corrections when they... Uh, uh, police officers and that do they they look at people's body language as you're talking to them you know sometimes people can't keep eye contact so they're looking away they're searching for an answer they're they're ashamed you know if you come in and somebody has done something that they shouldn't have and they're ashamed of they hang their head well when we have that in our relationship with God we don't need to hang our head we need to confess those things to him that we can be right with him and so he says I want you to have this joy and that's different than happiness. Sometimes in life we can be going through sad things. We can be going through trials in our life. But this joy is something that the world can't take away. The joy is knowing that I'm in right standing with God, that he's my Lord and Savior, and, and he loves me with all his heart. And so our Christian fellowship is based on this experience with Jesus Christ, believing what he did on Calvary. Not the things that we do. We fall short. He's going to address some of the things that we do, but... It's based upon what Christ has done for me. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. I have trusted in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I know that there's no way I can get to heaven apart from what Christ has done for me. Amen. And so we have that. So the conditions of fellowship with God, he goes on in the next five verses here. And, and there's three stages of deception that he's going to talk about here. I think in 6 and 8 and... Um, And 10, and it's this, if we say, if we say. So we can deceive ourselves. You know, the Bible tells us this, that our heart is deceitfully wicked. That it it can even fool ourselves. You know, sometimes people say, well, I'm just trusting my heart. You know, our heart can lead us astray. 
Our heart has compassion, you know, on things. We can see things that, well, I understand. I understand fully. I know why they're doing that. But if it's a sin, see, that's leading us astray. And so we have these three things here that, that are going to lead people astray, and it's as if we say. And so sometimes we think we have professions. As, you know what? Their lips, they, they mouth great words, but their hearts are far from me. See, we can profess, we can say what we want to say, but God is the revealer of our heart. God is looking at our heart. God is looking deep inside of us. And we need to understand that there is nothing hidden from the sight of God. So in order to have the right relationship with him, there needs to be nothing that is hindering us in there. Because if we have guilt, we're not going to be looking at the Father. We're not going to be walking in the light as he has called us to do. So there's some of these deceptions. I can still sin and have fellowship with God. That's one of the ones. People just believe that. I can just, you know, that's okay. God understands, you know. Didn't, didn't somebody tell me that, you know, when I accepted Jesus that he's forgiven all my sins past, present, and future. And so, you know, I can continue to sin and have fellowship with God. This is one of the lies that Paul is dealing with. He says, this is the message which we have heard from him, I'm in verse 5, and declare to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. What do you do with the scripture like that? Well, we would say, I believe that, right? God is light. There is no darkness in him. I mean, he is, he is brighter than brighter than bright. We can look in here and say, well, there's lights on, but I can see shadows. I can see some darkness. But in God, it says that there is just holiness. There's just purity. There's just radiant light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. There is no shadow of turning with thee, right? He is pure light. He is pure holiness. He is pure radiance. And it says, if we say, here's the first one, that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So this was where the pastors would always say, what do you do with that scripture? So we have a lot of people that say, well, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. Okay? But what are they doing? They're walking in darkness. They're walking in the sins of of this world. They're justifying things that God says, I hate. He said, I, I, when Jesus was hanging upon the cross, he had to turn his eyes upon sin because he couldn't even look upon those. And, and we sort of walk in sin in a boastful way. We walk in sin in a sort of a, you know, like a nonchalant way, saying, oh, you know, God, you know, Jesus died for those sins. He'll forgive me. Some of us even have preempted sin in our life where we just say, you know what? I know this is a sin, but I'm going to do it anyways, and I'll ask God for forgiveness later because the Bible says he's true and just, and he'll forgive us our sins, right? I want you to think how hypocritical that is. And I want to say today that if you're walking on those types of grounds or that path of your life, you're deceiving yourself. And if you can continually do that, I would say you maybe even need to question your salvation. Because God says when he comes into our life, he has made old things new. He convicts us. Now listen, I know we struggle with sin. We all struggle with sin in our life. And there's times we choose to sin. But he's talking about a practice of life here. This is the message. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And if we seek to follow him, we need to walk in the light. And that's what he's going to tell us in a minute. But he says if we say that we have fellowship with him, if we say I'm right with God, if we say I'm a Christian, which is what, a Christ follower? So you're going to tell me you're a Christ follower and you're going to go live in adultery? 
You're going to tell me that you're a Christ follower and you're going to go rob a bank? You're going to tell me that you're a Christian and you're going to choose to lie about this and that? Well, you know, we need to look at ourselves and say, should that be? And of course the answer is no. These are hard things for us to look at, but it's what God has called us to. You know, God tells us, be holy as I am holy. And we know that I can't do that. In the flesh, I cannot do that. But that's the importance of continually coming to Christ in confession. That's the importance of continually examining my life before his word and before his life. Because if there's anything in between us, it's hindering my walk with him. And I'm not going to have that intimate relationship with him. Is your desire to have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ? Is your desire to walk as close to him as you can? You know, there was, there was times in my life where, um, and, and it was after my salvation, but I was sort of growing, but I, I believe it was a crossroads in my life. And I would go to church and I'd, I'd sort of get geeked up for church. Oh, it's Sunday morning, I'm thinking about church. And, and we'd go to church and I'd listen to the word and I'd be sort of excited through, through the day. And then uh, pretty soon, well, now i got to go to work. And the whole week I wouldn't think nothing really about God. Maybe once in a while if I heard something. But I was in the world in so many levels in my life that I wasn't hearing God's word. And then all of a sudden Saturday or Saturday night would come again. And it was like, oh, we've got to start thinking about church again tomorrow. But God brought me to a point in my life and it was sort of like choose this day who you're going to serve. And I just think of how hypocritical my life was back then. But God was working and I was trying to listen. And I have fallen short many times in my life. I'm not going to stand up here like, oh, you know, yeah, just do this and I walked great. No. I still struggle with things in my life. We still have the flesh that comes in. I just had a great talk with somebody last night about sometimes the struggles that we have with our thoughts and our attitudes and those things that go on. But I realize that when I see those in my life, that I am wrong and that he is right. I've tried to stop, at least in my life, ever trying to justify some position in my life or some action in my life or some behavior in my life saying, well, God will understand. Because this is what God understands, is that he loved me enough to send his son Jesus to pay for those sins and that he's given me the door to walk through that forgiveness and receive forgiveness through his son Jesus. That's what God understands. And yes, he understands that we are weak in the flesh, but he tells us that's why we turn to him. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so when I am consumed with him, when I'm thinking about him, when I consult with him before I make choices in my life, or when I come to something I'm not sure about to sit and, and pray about it. You know, many times we go to prayer as a last resort. And we'll say the prayer, God, you know, God, I've, I've tried everything that I can think of and none of it's working. And, and Lord, so I'm coming to you. Sometimes I think God is saying, you know, why didn't you come to me in the first place? You know, I have the answers. I have the way. I have the truth. And I have found through my years of ministry and just being a Christian that as I read the scriptures, and this is the importance of, of, of knowing God's word. We talked about that. Knowing God's truth is that I have found that the word of God has the answer for everything in my life. For everything in my life. There is nothing that I have ever faced in my life that I can't say that the Word of God did not have the answer to. 
Now, I didn't always apply it the way that I should have, but the truth is there. And so the more I read his word, the more that I'm enveloped in his word, the more that I'm in time with prayer, listening to his Holy Spirit and applying this word to my life, the stronger I become, the more joyous I become, the more intimate I become with God to where I feel like we are one at those moments. And when you've had those moments with God, and sometimes we just wish we could walk in that like 24-7, But if you've had that moment with God where you are just so intimate, it's just like God's just speaking to me. And and you just feel overwhelmed by it. It's like, I want this all the time. But the world tugs at us. And the false teachers are there to to drag us away. So as we go through this, and I think we're going to continue as the Lord permits, through uh, 2nd and 3rd John, the other little books too, the challenges are there for our life, but but First John is a great one, and I would challenge you this week to maybe uh, once a day or a couple times a day read through just those first ten verses. Take a minute and a half out of your day, two minutes out of your day, just read through them and just let it saturate. I, I sort of think, uh, as was said, you know, when we repeat something in our mind enough, it sort of sticks with us. And ask yourselves those questions. As you read through that, ask yourself, what does the scripture mean to me? What is the scripture trying to tell me? What does God want me to do with my life? And so I think we're going we're gonna to wrap her up there about uh, with verse 6. And we'll continue on next week. But think about these things. What God has desired for us. It's important. I mean, all eternity really really hinges on this. You know, my greatest fear for people is, is giving them a false sense of security, a false sense of salvation. See, churches do that. They'll say, get baptized as a baby, and, and they're guaranteed to go to heaven. Okay? Or they'll say, you know, repeat this prayer after me. It's not that the prayer is bad, but if the heart hasn't been changed, if God's not calling to you, there's no desire to walk with him. You can mouth whatever words you want. You can say whatever prayer you want. You can get baptized all you want. But how many of us have been to those funerals and will hear the, the uh, spiritual leader up front say, by their baptism they are entered into this heaven, you know, and, and you're thinking, I've seen this person's life their whole life. They weren't walking with the Lord. They had no desire to, to love Jesus. God says we're a strange and peculiar people. You know, when we look at Jesus' life, he lived a life that was different than any other life, and he has called us to live that same life. Do we just want to fit into the world? One of the dangers of these false religions was just that, that they were loving the world more than they were loving the Lord. We've got to be cautious in that in our life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for... John, this morning, as we just read through just the first few verses of this small epistle, and what power and eloquency he has in just these simple but really challenging scriptures. Lord, help us this week to maybe read through these things a few times and to really ask ourselves and to to ask the Lord to reveal things in our life. You know, there's a scripture that says, Lord, search me and try me. Reveal any unclean way in me. 
And Lord, we want that. Lord, we don't want people to be deceived. We don't want people thinking that they're okay because we're not okay. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None are righteous, not one. Lord, we want to make sure that people know that the way is through Jesus Christ and him alone. And as we put our trust in him, that it is him who gives us the desires. It is him that gives us the faith. It is him that gives us the wisdom to walk in our ways. And Lord, when we do fail, and we will, and when we fall short, and again we will, Lord, help us to have that heart that turns to you immediately and repents of those things that our relationship may remain strong. We thank you for the love that you have for each one here, Lord. We pray for those, Lord, that don't know you. And Lord, if there are those sitting here today that have maybe had a form of godliness, but they just not walking in your ways, Lord, we just ask that you speak to their hearts. Lord, we've all been there. Lord, the world needs the message that you have come to set the captives free. And Lord, we all need to be set free. So Lord, just be with us and bless us now as we go through the remainder of this day. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen.